Good morning. I'm Stephen, the pastor here. Welcome. Um, I want to invite you, if you have a Bible or your phone, turn into Romans 6. The verses we're going to be looking at are also in your bulletin. If you want to take notes, there's a place to do that there. We are, we're in a series called You New. Um, this is a series about how the news of Jesus changes us. And we've been seeing in this section of a letter that Jesus came to start a new world in the middle of an old world. That in his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus showed that there's another way to live. There's a new way to live. And it's stronger than the old world. It actually overcomes. His resurrection shows that his way of living overcomes the old world of sin and of selfishness. Uh, and, and so this is why the gospel is good news. It's, and it's not just good news about Jesus, but it's good news for us. It's, it's good news about us. I did a little bit of research this week, and on Instagram, the average user of Instagram follows 285 people. Now, most of the 285 people that you might follow on Instagram probably impact your life very little. Right? Following them does not make a big difference in your life. But Jesus is one case where following someone actually makes a radical difference in who you are and how you live. Let me give you a quote from a book called Simply Christian by N.T. Wright. He said this about Jesus and the resurrection and the new world. He said, when Jesus rose again, God's whole new creation emerged from the tomb, introducing a world full of new potential and possibility. Justice, spirituality, relationship, and beauty rose with him. Something happened in and through Jesus, and as a result, the world is a different place, a place where heaven and earth have been joined forever. God's future has arrived in the present. Instead of mere echoes, we hear the voice itself, a voice which speaks of rescue from evil and death, and hence, of new creation. And we find ourselves lifted up, set on our feet, given new breath in our lungs, and commissioned to go and make new creation happen in the world. Man, I love this. He's, telling, he's explaining that Jesus invades the world, invades this world, and is making everything new. And it starts in us, and then it works through us. And we've seen this, haven't we? Romans 5 has talked about this. And Romans 5 actually says that it's the cross of Jesus that's the bridge between the old world and the new. And so Jesus comes into the world. But more than that, now even today, Jesus comes into your life. And Jesus sees everything. He knows everything. And so he sees your failures. He sees how you and I have participated in the old world. He sees the punishment and the condemnation that our sins deserve. And Jesus says, look at me. He says, look at me. This is bad. This is bad. And this cannot be undone. He says, I know that you have been wrecked by the old world, but you've contributed to it as well. And this can't be undone. But I love you. And I have come to make things right. This is what Jesus says to us. He says, there is no greater love than someone lay down their life for their friends. 
And Jesus says, these aren't just words. I am going to lay down my life for you. I'm going to pay the price to justice for your sins. I'm going to pay the penalty that your sins deserve. And so what we see is that the cross of Jesus both accepts and transforms us. You're accepted by God because Jesus died for you. And this is the teaching of Romans 1 through 4. But then you're also transformed by God because you died with Jesus. This is Romans 5 through 8. And that's the series that we're in. Uh, Romans 6.2, we saw a few weeks ago, that says that we died to sin. Romans 6.3 says that baptism is the funeral ceremony for us. But the question is, like, what exactly died? You know, because here we are, we're alive, and yet we died, and yet what, you know, so how does this work? What exactly happened to us when we believed in Jesus? We were baptized. Well, verses 6 and 7 in Romans 6 tell us, okay? And what they say is that, Um, that what died is our old self. And so let's look at Romans 6, verses 6 and 7. They'll be in your bulletin. They're also going to be up here on the screen. It says this. It says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. So today, I want to introduce you to your old self, okay? Today, we're going to ask and answer four questions about your old self. First, what is the old self? What's the old self? Because you saw it in verse 6, right? You saw that phrase? It says, we know that our old self was crucified with him. So what is this old self? Well, the verses give us a little bit of a a hint. They they begin to teach us a little bit. If you look at verse 6, it says, um, the body of sin... So our old self is our body full of sin. Um, And then verse 6 also says that this old self isn't just full of sin, but it's enslaved to sin. Because when it dies, we're no longer enslaved to sin. You see that at the end of verse 6? And so what is the old self? Let me give you a quick way to think about it. It's who you are without God. That's the old self. It's who you are without God. Now, I think we need a little bit more than that. Like, I think that for some of you, your minds are racing. You're starting to make connections. Let's click on this a little bit. It's not just who you are without God, but to be more specific, it's who you are without God's image and spirit. Okay, the image of God. Every human being is made in God's image. We were created with a soul. We were created with intellect and capacity for love and relationships, a capacity to think and to reason, and we have consciousness in ways that go far beyond every other form of life on earth. And the image of God is what gives us that sense of consciousness and reasoning. It's what gives us the capacity to be like him, to love like him, to relate to other people like him, to serve like him, to to lead like him, to work like him, to create like him. And your old self has all of these abilities and faculties, but your old self is who you are when you use all of those abilities and faculties and gifts and talents to serve yourself and not God or others. That's your old self. 
So it's who you are when you're selfish. It's who you are when you're sinfully angry or when you're manipulative. When the virus of sin entered the world, it infected and corrupted all of us. We all took on this old self, and it's who we are when we suppress the image of God in us. And the Christians among us, the Christians in this room, we have more than just the image of God. Christians also have the spirit of God. And this is the metaphysical, the spiritual presence of God with us. Um, it's, the Bible calls the presence of God with us the Holy Spirit. And, it's, and the Holy Spirit is like the fire of meaning and direction and passion in our lives. It, it burns within us. It moves us. It, it reminds us of God's love. It makes us have the sense that we're not alone. It, it helps us to see that God is with us and what God is doing. It makes us, it moves us, it compels us to be a new kind of person, a Jesus kind of person. And so the old self then is who Christians are when the fire of God's spirit is quenched within us. So that's our old self. So the old self is us when we say, dang, I didn't think I'd ever do this. The old self is us saying, I hate myself when I'm like this. And so anger, jealousy, the need for control of circumstances and, and, and other people, um, impatience with others, hiding the truth so that we don't get caught. Uh, these are things, these are parts of our old self, gossiping about someone else to cut them down so you can feel better about yourself. Um, using gossip to cut somebody else down so that you can deepen a relationship with the person that you're gossiping with so you have to feel like you're, you're together, you're laughing about somebody else, you're making fun of somebody else. Right? This is, these are all examples of your old self. And we all have an old self. All of us do. That old self looks different in different ways depending on who we are. doesn't always look the same, but it's full of sin and it's who we are when God's image is suppressed and God's spirit is quenched. So that's what is the old self. Now the second question we want to ask is, why is this called the old self? Right? Why is it called the old self? I mean, why not call it your evil self? Why not call it, you know, your rotten self, the part of you that you don't want to be? Why call it the old self? I think the answer is because it's you suffering from and contributing to the old world. Okay? It's called your old self because it's you suffering from and contributing to the old world. We've got to wrap our minds around this because it is very easy for people who are Christian and also for people who aren't Christian to think that Christians, all they do is harp on the bad things that you do and they want to make you feel guilty and you need to own what you've done and you've got to confess, I mean, all this kind of stuff and it's all about sort of the rules that we've broken or the stuff we should have done that we didn't do, right? That's not how the Bible talks about sin. It's just, it's not. The Bible's communication about sin and brokenness and evil is to tell us a story. It's telling us a story, and it's the story of these two worlds that exist. Okay, Romans 5, we just saw this, that there are these two worlds in creation. There's one from Adam and another one from Jesus. And these two worlds are in constant battle for control. 
They want to dominate the other. They want to rule the world. They want to fill the world with what they're like. And Adam's old world is ruled by sin, and it brings forth selfishness and death and judgment. This is all of the brokenness of the world. This is the old world. Now, the new world is the world Jesus is bringing, and Jesus' world is ruled by rightness. It's ruled by love. It's filled with grace and forgiveness, rescue and transformation. So I want to give you a couple of examples of this, one that's sort of big and societal and one that's more personal. Um, I want to talk first about sex trafficking. This is a big part of the old world. Sex trafficking with all of its egregious evils, it is the old world. So abuse, manipulation, objectification of people, literal slavery, all of this is the old world. Um, and I bring this up in part because last week at Generate Hope, um, we received a new, a new girl. A new girl came. And I say we because, well, first of all, I'm on the board of Generate Hope, and our church is partnered with Generate Hope. And what we've done, we've supported them for ever since they started. And so what goes on there is in part because of the gifts and the contributions and the time and the, and the investment people have made in this church. And so when I say we, that's what I'm saying. So at Generate Hope, we received a new girl. She contacted Generate Hope from somewhere in the Midwest, and I actually didn't know this. I learned this. Um, we actually have a team of people that are standing by and will travel to a place to get a woman out who wants to escape. And it's honestly like black ops covert operations to rescue some of these women because they are so trapped. They're in such... Their layers of security to keep them confined in these situations. And so this team was dispatched um, and rescued her, brought her to San Diego, and she is now at Generate Hope. And as most of you know, at Generate Hope, she gets love and acceptance. She gets education and therapy and job training skills, all in the name of Jesus, so that she can live a new life in Jesus's new world. You know what triggered this woman asking to be set free? What got her to the place where she finally reached out and cried out for help? Well, she found out that she was going to be sent from where she was. She was going to be shipped to Minneapolis to provide services for attenders of the Super Bowl. Every time large groups of people come together. Sex trafficking is part of what they do when they travel. And so my heart and my stomach have not been the same about this game since then. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't enjoy the Super Bowl. I'm planning on enjoying the game. I'm not saying you shouldn't have a good time and celebrate with family, with friends, um, but... And so much of the old world is right underneath the surface of the world that we live in. This old world is prevalent. But the old world isn't just out there in Minneapolis this week. It's also here. It's inside each one of us. The old world is us, and we contribute. Our sin contributes to this old world. So this is us 
when we don't want to listen to how we need to grow or to change. This is us when we get defensive or we get evasive about our sins. This is us when we hide things that we've done and our faults from people who need and deserve to know. This is us when we cut corners, when we lie to get ahead um, or to get what we want. This is us when we don't forgive others. And it's called the old self because it's actually who we are when we are building the old world. And that's what we're doing. We're actually contributing to the old world. So that's why it's called the old self. It's also called the old self. This is a bit of a corner turn. It's called the old self also because the gospel teaches us that Jesus has made you new. That when you believe in him, that part of who you are is now your old self. It's not who you are anymore. And so there's real transformation that takes place when you commit to following Jesus. And we're going to talk about that with our third question as we get to this third question. Third question is, now how? How is the old self dead? How is the old self dead? Like verse 6 and 7, again, let's look back at that. It says, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin for the one who's died has been set free from sin. And so the old self dead is explained here. Like these verses teach us what it means. Okay, verse 6 says that we'd no longer be enslaved to sin. Verse 7 says so that we would be set free from sin. And so this is a new reality. It's a new reality. When you believe in Jesus, this happens to you. Okay, this old self dies. So let me officially introduce you to your old self. I have your old self right here. This is your old self. This old self is brought to you by Teresa Larson, part of our church family. She's a physical therapist in the East Village. And uh, yeah, she graciously loaned me this so that, uh, so that you could see this is what the Bible is teaching, right? This is your old self. In fact, you know, you good? How you doing? It's not saying anything. This is the reality these verses are explaining. Okay? This is what these verses say. Our old self was crucified with Jesus. Okay? The part of you that is sinful and selfish, the part of you that's intolerant, the part of you that's impatient, the part of you that is defensive, the part of you that is sinfully aggressive, um, the part of you that is sinfully passive-aggressive, right? the part of you that won't speak up but will hold a person responsible for everything that they've done and make them suffer. Right? These verses say that that old self was crucified with Jesus. And so the you without God has been killed. 
Now, clearly, this is a metaphor, right? The old self, this is a metaphor, but so what does this mean, right? There's a spiritual reality that moves Paul to use this kind of graphic illustration. Um, And verse 6 says that what this means is that the power of Jesus in your life, when you commit to Jesus and you have a relationship with him, he commits to you. And the power of having him with you breaks the power that your old self had in your life. There was a time when the old self was in control. There was a time when you were enslaved to your old self. And that's not true anymore. There was a time when this person was in control and there was nothing you could do about it. And now everything's changed. And so this is an incredible promise that delivers incredible power and a new reality for us. But it doesn't give us everything. Okay, it doesn't give us everything that we want. And we're going to talk about this as we, as we walk through what this means. Um, but so one of the ways to understand this as a metaphor and what, what it means for us in our lives is this. Like, here's two questions. Can we still sin? Answer, yes. Do we have to sin? Answer, no. This is the reality that these verses are giving us. Can we still sin? Yes. We can still sin. Do we have to? The glorious gospel answer is no. We are no longer enslaved to sin. Our old self was incapable of not sinning. Our old self could not be without sin. Our old self was enslaved to sin. But as real as the event of Jesus' crucifixion, and that is a historical event that is testified to outside the Bible by people who had no interest, by people who even believed that it couldn't happen, shouldn't happen. It was reported outside of the Bible that Jesus died. And as real as a historical reality, as the, resurrection, as the death of Jesus was, that's how real your old self was crucified with him. And so God, it means that the version of you, this version of you is no longer in control. It has been dethroned. What this means is that he or she cannot force you to do anything anymore. Now it's important for us to understand that there are now two parts of us. There is an old self and then there's a new self, right? That's what comes next, right? Crucifying our old self is only half of what Jesus does. It's only half of the benefits or the blessings of being committed to Jesus. Let's look at verses 8 through 10. It says, now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. 
And so you were crucified with him, buried with him in baptism. That's what verse three says. But now you have emerged along with Jesus from the grave and you are a member of his new world. That's what these verses say. So there is an old self and there's a new self. And the new, if the old self is who you are full of sin, the new self is who you are full of Jesus. Jesus gives us his resurrected life. And so everything about Jesus, all of his character, all of his kindness, all of his compassion, all of his wisdom is now in us. It's part of our new self. And so when temptation comes, temptation in your life and in mine, when we are tempted, the temptation comes and it is targeting our old self. Okay? I don't know if you know this. I don't know if you've thought about this. But when temptation comes for you, and it could be your habitual sins, it could be the areas that you struggle with, um, it could be the people in your life that rub you the wrong way, that like just push your buttons, it could be situations that you get into where you find yourself and you just, you sin all the time, um, the stuff you struggle with, right? All of that appeals to your old self. Because your old self is very at home, engaging in all the tempting activities. Your old self loves the old world and wants to continue to build it, but not your new self. And what we need, what we need to remember and understand and rehearse is that the old self is dead. The idea here is that when temptation comes, it's as though temptation comes to us and knocks at the door. We open the door, the temptation's there, and the temptation is saying, hey, I'd like to take your old self out for a good time. Functionally, that's what's happening. What's our response? Um, he can't come to the door. In fact, he can't come at all. Like, he's dead. He doesn't live here anymore. That's the reality that these verses are communicating to us. And it's, it's really important for us because we have to practice this. And I mean, this is why we're going to talk about this specifically next week, but then this whole next series is going to be all about how do you do this in the different situations of life. But we need to practice this, and we'll talk about how to do this in, in just the next question. But I just want to say that it's our, it's our problems and our struggles and the areas of life that are, that are difficult that they actually try to bring our old self back to life, okay? There are situations that I get into, and I don't do this consciously, but practically what I, what I, what I do is I say, you know what, only my old self can handle this situation. Um, I've got to fight, and my old self's good at that. I need to argue. I need to ignore what this person's saying and show them that they're wrong. 
And my old self's really good at that. Functionally, that's what's happening. I can't let my new self be the one in control right now because my new self will forgive. My new self will strive to understand. My new self will sacrifice in order to make sure the other person is heard. And I'm afraid if that happens, I'm not going to get my way or I'm not going to be understood. And so, I've got to judge this person. I've got to be angry with this person. I so desperately need this person's approval that I need to bring my old self in so that I can win this person by making a joke or saying some gossip. I mean, that's right. This is the reality that we live in, and that's what we're doing. Um, in my own heart, I've convinced myself that I'm not safe sometimes when my new self is in control. Can you identify? You know what I'm talking about? Like, I'm not safe because I might not be heard. I might not be understood. I might not get my way. Um, I might not get to make sure this person feels the weight of what they've done. And so the problems that our lives, that, that happen, like, they pull that old self out of us. Um, And the reality is that with the new self, it's not always safe. Very often, our new self is us putting ourselves out, and sometimes the only person who is going to protect us is God. And there are times when God's response to us will be to allow us to suffer so that he can build his new world into the very center of the old one. I think that's part of what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is exactly what happened to Jesus. Jesus trusted God and God allowed him to suffer. Not because God is vindictive or because God likes to see his children suffer, but because God wanted to transform the world that was turning on Jesus. And so, so sometimes our new selves will get hurt. To forgive is often to take punishment and not retaliate and not take vengeance. Now, this doesn't mean that you should, that you have to allow somebody to continue to hurt you. Okay, this isn't a remedy or this isn't a recommendation to be abused in a relationship. Um, there's nothing right about letting somebody else hurt you over and over and over again. You can stand up for yourself, um, but to forgive it actually, it, it frees you from sin. It keeps the evil that's being done to you from getting into you. When you retaliate sinfully 
and whether it's aggressively retaliating or passive aggressively retaliating, when you do that, the sin that's committed against you actually gets in and your retaliation is that sin now coming out of you. And in that way, now you've got two people building the old world. But if you forgive, you have the chance to be free, to plant the new world, and even to set the other person free. So in a sense, you absorb their evil and respond with forgiveness. And this is what Jesus did. This is what Jesus did. And so what this does, this gives us a new identity. This changes everything about us. And you have to understand like that identity, it can, an identity moves us to act. It changes us. It changes how we think about ourselves, how we think about other people. It really does. Let me give you just a couple of examples. Like if you have a friend, like a real friend, not a Facebook friend, like a real friend, like somebody that you're friends with, right? When they, have, they get into trouble, you have to help them. Why? Well, because they're your friend, right? I mean, because you are a friend of theirs. And so the identity, your identity as a friend makes you say, okay, I got to help. What can I do? Right? And so your identity actually shapes your reaction to a situation. Your identity keeps you from going, well, gosh, I don't know. There's not really much I can. No, no. It's like, I might not be able to fix this, but I'm going to help. And I want you to know how much I care because at least I'm here. Right? And so your identity shapes you. Think about parents, right? How could I not help? No matter what my child is going through, no matter how bad it is, I'm in. Why? Well, because I've got to care for my child. I'll do whatever it takes. Why? Because I'm a parent. Our identity actually gives us strength. It gives us direction. It gives us purpose, meaning, right? And so, I mean, the best bosses in the workplace understand their role as a boss is to lead and to care for their employees, right? I can't just cut their legs out from under them. I can't just make a decision that's going to hurt them. Why? Well, because I'm, I'm the boss. The buck stops with me. I've got to make the right decision here, right? And so identity gives us strength. And so how much more as a Christian? Gosh, we don't think about it this way often, but we need to. I mean, if you are a Christian, that means your identity is that Jesus is your Lord. He is in control of your life. He is your King and your Savior, right? He has done everything he possibly could to love you and to draw you back to himself. He gives you his presence and his very life. All that he is is now coursing through you. And so it's like, man, I've got to do, I've got to follow Jesus, I can't treat this flippantly. I want to honor Jesus because of all that he's done and because I am a Christian, right? I want to recoil from this old world. I don't want to keep building that. I want to build the world Jesus is building. Why? Well, because he's my God and I want to follow him. And so it's our identity. Our old self is dead and we are now raised as new selves in Christ, so I want to end with um, one more question, and that's just how do we keep the old self dead? 
how do we keep the old self dead? Because if you're following here, you're thinking, okay, this sounds great and all, <laughs> but were you with me this week? <laughs> right? If my old self was crucified, why the heck is he running around with me all the time? <laughs> right? My old self doesn't feel dead. My old self feels very much alive. What's the deal with that? Well, I think there's something in the, in the, in the text that we have to see. Um, look again at verse 6. Okay, it says, we know that our old self was crucified with him. So that's past tense. And that, I read that, I'm like, dang, this already happened. It's a done deal. It's, I mean, literally, my old self is dead, gone, buried. And I have thought about this passage in that way forever. Like, I've read this hundreds of times. I've taught this dozens of times. And this week, I saw something new. This week, I saw something in this verse that I've never seen before. Um, and I've been misunderstanding it. I've been misapplying it to my life. Um, because when I'm not living this way, I've thought, wow, well, maybe this verse just isn't talking about me. It must be talking about other people, maybe better Christians, holier Christians, but not me. And what I realized, again, is that this is a metaphor. The crucifixion of our old self is a metaphor. And the purpose, look at the end of verse 6. It says, in order that or the middle of verse 6, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So what this is saying here is that this has started, but it hasn't yet been completed. So the body of sin will be brought to nothing, but that's not going to happen until Jesus comes back. And this is what the same author Paul says in another place. In Philippians 1.6, he says, He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. And so, this has started, but it hasn't yet been completed. And so right now, we are living in between both worlds. Right now, the old self was crucified... The new self is here, and yet there is a tension as we live in the overlap of these two worlds. So, how do we keep the old self dead? How do we keep the old self dead? It's pretty simple but I think it's more profound than you think. Like, I'm going to give you the answer, and you're going to, like, roll your eyes and go, really? That sounds like such a pat answer. So how do we keep the old self dead? Stay committed to Jesus. Stay committed to Jesus. So often, this is not our experience because we aren't actually committed to Jesus at all. Like, so this is true for folks that aren't Christian yet. Um, so this can mean that. Sometimes we don't experience this because we just haven't actually committed our lives to Jesus. Um, but this can also mean that you're a Christian who's moved away from God. And so either way, commit to Jesus and this will be your experience. Um, commit to Jesus or recommit to Jesus. And this recommitment is actually an ongoing part of the Christian life. Okay, because committing to Jesus means 
to renounce the old world along with Jesus and to build the new world with Jesus. Like this is what it is. And so renouncing the old world, you know what that means? It's actually confessing your sins. So again, we think that Christianity sometimes is it's just about rules, it's about regulations, it's about do this, don't do this, and if you don't do it, you've got to confess your sins, and God's got this list, and he's got a stick, and if you don't confess, he's going to beat you. Like, that's not the Bible. Confessing your sins is actually renouncing the old world. It's understanding the story of these two worlds. Confessing your sins is saying there is this world that exists that's evil, and I have contributed to it. I'm guilty. I've built a portion of this old world. And I'm sorry. I am renouncing the old world that I have participated in. That's what it means to confess your sins. That is so much more powerful. That is so much more gripping. Right? That it's this old world. It's my old self. And I renounce my old self. I renounce everything that came out of my old self. And I want to follow Jesus. Following Jesus means I believe that he rose from the dead. I believe that he is building a new world. And I want to join him in that. I want to do everything I can to fill the world with rightness, to fill the world with love, to fill the world with power, to fill the world with grace, And so you do this once when you become a Christian. But I think, actually, this is part of the daily routine of the Christian life. Right? And this doesn't mean that you become a Christian every day. It means that you rehearse the fact that you are a Christian every day in this way. I renounce the old world and all of my participation in it. And Jesus, I am wholeheartedly devoted to you as best I can. Will I still sin? Yes, but I don't have to anymore. And so this is going deeper. For us, it's going deeper. Going deeper is us rehearsing this gospel and then doing it in community. And so rehearse this this week and make sure you have a form of this conversation with at least one other person. Because you're going to find as you talk about this with somebody else, it'll get even more real. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for entering in and bringing a new world. We thank you for bringing us into this new world and letting us participate in it. Jesus, we renounce the old world and all of of what it is. God, we want to flee from the evil in the world and from the evil in our own hearts. Thank you for forgiveness. Continue to plant yourself in between us and our sin so that we might follow you.